the yard in the blink of an eye. He's got gold on that glove. You gotta believe. Unity is adversity. We are seeing unbelievable things at the ballpark tonight. Swing and a miss. Refuse to lose. See you later. United we play. United we win. Welcome to the Nats. Oh my. All hits all the time. We are family. An absolute rocket. We're busting ours to kick yours. Playing and a miss. On a 15. Respect all, fear none. Back to back to back. Intensity is not a perfume. Wow. That's incredible. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome into the Masson All Access Podcast, the first one of the 2023 regular season. Bobby Blanco and Amy Jens coming at you live from our Masson web studio. And if you are watching us on the Masson Nationals Facebook page or YouTube channel, hopefully you enjoyed our brand new Nationals-specific opening countdown. Yeah, pretty cool. Thanks to Masson, <laughs> the people at Masson for bringing us that. Um, and uh, Nat-specific stuff all, our, all around on our new graphics. So we really appreciate that. Clean look to the pod. So hopefully you subscribe on and hit uh, uh, turn on your notifications on Facebook and YouTube. And also subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Amy, we're f- only four games into the season, but it's still that exciting time. The weather's getting better. I know the Nationals have lost a couple more than they have won, but it is good to have regular season baseball. We talk about all the time, like we go through the the, the degrees of the off season, and then finally the excitement of spring training, the excitement of spring training games, and now it's like okay, let's have these matter now, and, yeah. and we're finally into the first week. Yeah, we're going to talk about it on the podcast today. A lot of things that we're probably overreacting to because we just have a four-game sample size to look at. But nonetheless, it's still super exciting. I went to Nats Park as a fan on Sunday and got to see them get their first win of the season and only win so far. And, you know, even it's just exciting all around, especially to go to a game as a fan for the first time of the season. You know, you cover games and, you know, that's that. But to go to a game and enjoy it as a fan, it's exciting. Baseball's here. I'm pumped. Yeah, that's, you had a great day on Sunday. It was yeah. beautiful, beautiful out. And, yeah, you're right. They got the good Mackenzie Gore shoved in his uh, Nationals debut, which, of course, we'll talk to talk about in a little bit. Um, yeah, opening day was exciting. The weather was – it was a little chilly, but the weather was beautiful. Uh, it looked beautiful, but it was a little cold. Um, but, yeah, you just had the excitement in the air. Packed stadium, you know, packed Navy Yard area surrounding Nats Park was a lot of fun. The guys were excited. The guys are having fun. Um, yeah, tough loss to the Braves. Uh, they have a brutal loss on Saturday, but then you get to come back and, and get that W on Sunday. And here we are. We're already more than halfway through the first homestand of the season. Um, yeah, so this whole pod is just going to be doing your classic overreactions, overanalyzing the first four games of the season. <laughs> I mean, there's not much else to do, right? And except, I mean, we're going to talk about, you know, little storylines that we've picked up upon uh, over the f- games, over the season's first four games. But, you know, these don't have long-term ramifications. We hope they don't, at least. You know, that's the, kind, of, kind of the fun part. But, you know, four games, it's like, you know, 15 at-bats for guys. Right. Seven, six innings for starting pitchers. Not, not even in some cases. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be a lot of just overreaction, overanalyzing. That's kind of the fun part. 
Um, can't wait to dive into that. But let's do a little housekeeping notes over the first couple of days, Amy. Corey Dickerson is the victim of the first injury of the season. He lands on the 10-day injured list with the left calf strain. David Martinez saying yesterday that it's a mild strain. Um, it's something he'd suffered through last year. He missed the month last year with the Cardinals. Um, but they're hoping that, you know, with that plan of already how to treat it, they can get him back a quicker um, and Stone Garrett recalled from AAA Rochester uh, to fill his spot in the outfield. Yeah, we kind of thought, you know, going into the season when the Nationals signed Corey Dickerson that he was going to be the everyday left fielder. Now we find out that he's probably just going to play against right-handed pitchers and Alex called are going to split time in left field. Interesting that we saw it was Ildemaro Vargas in left field that took his spot in yesterday's game. Davey Martinez said, you know, he wants to get at-bats for Stone Garrett, but that was primarily because he wants to get at-bats for Ildemaro Vargas as well and give him a chance to get in there. Uh, they did say it's mild, not a big deal, probably better just to be safe than sorry. A little concerning, though, that he did miss a month of last season with the same injury um but you know hopefully he'll be back soon only on the 10 day di 10 day il and just being safe rather than sorry yeah it's kind of caught my attention um yesterday with davy talking about it and you know you're ever in a press conference or like an interview and you after the fact think of a question you should have asked that yeah. happened to me <laughs> on monday at nats park because i just remembered that when talking about platooning alex call and Corey dickerson in left field on opening day Davey, without being prompted, mentioned off the cuff that, you know, they just need to get Corey Dickerson healthy through the season's first month of the of, of the season. And I didn't think of anything at the time, but now that he's on the injured list and with his calf string, that's something that's already bothered him last year. I, I just wonder, if, like, did he come back from spring training with this already bothering him? Uh, he was replaced late in the game on Saturday. Um, just jogging off the field. And that's what makes me think it probably was already yeah. kind of happening. He said he just felt he was jogging off the field and he just felt his calf like was kind of tight. Yeah. And we haven't seen Corey in the Nationals clubhouse during the time the media is allowed in there before he's still with the team. We saw him at batting practice, but he wasn't in the clubhouse pregame, uh, probably getting treatment on that, on that calf, that left calf. So, yeah, I, you just wonder. I, I thought when Davey originally said that on opening day, it was more of like, oh, you know, he's an older veteran. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's tricky, especially with the cold weather to start the season. Like, you just need to get him healthy through the season's first month. And then once the weather warms up, you know, it's easier to him kind of get into his routine, ease into the year, um, and maybe play more. But now it, I, I'm kind of suspicious that something was already bothering Corey Dickerson after uh, spring training. Stone Garrett comes back. You mentioned Alex Call, but Ildemaro Vargas gets a start in left field on Monday in the series opener against the Rays. Davey said that Call's going to get a majority of those starts, but here we are seeing him benched for uh, Ildemaro Vargas. Now, Vargas had had very minimal success against the Rays starter last night or Monday night, and he did get a base hit off him, so that worked out. But I would imagine, especially against left-handed starters, which the Nationals are lined up to see a couple over the next couple of days, Alex Call is going to get a majority of those starts in left field, so your outfield will be Call, Robles, Thomas. Mm -hmm. And you've seen Davey Martinez already, you know, mixing up this lineup in a bunch of different ways, and it's kind of a matter of just playing the matchups, and you're going to see that a lot, especially if you're platooning two guys in left field, and then you're going to find ways to get players like Ildemaro Vargas in there, because you know, he's not, he's going to be asked to play multiple different positions, whether it's mm -hmm. in the infield or the outfield, 
field. And so to get him as many at bats and then, you know, seeing the results of that, you know, hopefully he's able to get a hit here and there. Um, Cause it's not easy just to come in and, you know, play a different position every day sure. and expect to, to, you know, get hits at the plate. But you got, you got to see that yesterday. I, I, I understand. And, you know, early in the season, you know, nationals and Davey want to win games and that makes total sense. Right. But, you know, Ildemar Vargas, no matter how joyful and fun he is to be around, the, the Campeone every day, walking to the clubhouse, he fills that Gerardo Parra role mm-hmm. on this team. But to the same point, you know, he's not a long-term piece for this team. Right. Alex Call, you're trying to figure out if he is. So I would like to see Call get a majority of those at-bats, Agreed. whether it's righty or lefty starter, because you know if he becomes a long-term piece, he's going to have to face righty starters. So... I True. would I would like to see call you know he's not a prospect right now but you know he is a guy you're still trying to figure out he you know you brought him over last year and you want to see if this guy can you know fit in your outfield and and we've seen him have some small success he had a really strong spring training um, he plays great defense out there he probably plays better than Corey Dickerson at this point and Ildemar Vargas so yeah I, I just would like to see call get a majority of those reps out in left field because he's the guy that you're trying to figure out if he can stick around Vargas is. You know, no offense to him, and for lack of a better word, a placeholder for right now. Agreed, agreed. And, you know, Alex Call, I mean, you're already seeing him, you know, get more opportunities than we expected. Like we said, you know, we thought Corey Dickerson would get, you know, the primary playing time in left field, but you're already seeing, you know, his strong spring training, his his competition for that last outfield spot, you know, pay off. And that's why I think you're seeing him a lot more than you might have expected when we got the news that the Nationals were signing Corey Dickerson. Yep. Um, okay, so that's the first injury bug of the season. Re- really quickly, I want to run down because the the um, minor league season started to kick off this week. Triple A started on Friday. They announced their rosters before their season started for the Red Wings. But the rest of um, the affiliates began this week, uh, I think starting Thursday for most of them for double A and down. Just want to get a quick rundown of who's starting where, because of course, you know, right now a lot of the attention is on these top prospects. James Wood is going to start at high A Wilmington, only two hour drive from DC. If you want to go see James Wood. Um, and so their top prospect guy who shot up the rankings this off season, he gets to go to high A Wilmington. We thought he would actually make that jump at the end of last year. They never did it. He played well enough, but they never actually did it. Now he's completely skipping single A Fredericksburg and going to high A. Robert Hassel III is starting at double-A along with um, Jackson Rutledge. And then your other top prospects like Elijah Green, Brady House, Yarlan Susana, Christian Vaccaro, all starting at single-A Fredericksburg. Short drive from Nationals Park. So if you're in the area, the Fred Nats are going to be an exciting team to go check out this year uh, if you're looking to see some of these prospects in action. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the exciting names on that list is we're seeing Jackson Rutledge finally make that jump to double-A. Towards the end of the season, he was kind of shoving it after he was injured but they kind they kept him in Fredericksburg, and we were waiting and waiting. He finally makes that jump to, to double-A to start this season. Um, and then, you know, James Wood getting the promotion. But a lot of those guys are going to get to see. Fredericksburg is so close to Nationals Park. You're going to get to see the Brady Houses and the Arlen Susannas that, you know, you've been waiting to see and are really high prospects. Right. Uh, Brady House is officially making that full move to third base. Mike Rizzo saying before opening day that, 
he is fully committed to that, and he's all in, so that's a good sign. He's fully healthy, too. So Brady House should be back on the baseball field at the hot corner this year. Same can't be said for Robert Hassel. He's still dealing with that hand injury. Rizzo mentioning that he's probably a couple of weeks behind at AA, so you're not going to see him playing for the Senators for a couple of weeks, probably mid to late April um, with AA Harrisburg. But as long as he gets on the field eventually, you and I both made predictions last week that we actually don't necessarily think Robert's going to make his major league debut this year, but if he did, it won't come till September. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but a two week start, if he can get on the field sometime in April, I think that's a good sign. If anything longer than that, then you're kind of wondering what's why, why what's taking him so long. Right. For a guy like that, that's a top prospect. It shouldn't be that difficult to make the jump from, you know, double A, maybe play a couple games in triple A and make that jump to the big leagues. But the hand injury, I think, is what has set him back so much and kind of what changed the narrative of why we both kind of agree that it's probably going to be either a September call up or most likely next season that sure. we see Robert Hassel at the big leagues. So those are the lay of the land of your top prospects in the Nationals farm system to start off this season. Let's, before we get into our overreactions, we have to talk about this <laughs> stupid rule again. The Nationals get, they can't get this right. Uh, you guys at home will know it as the Trey Turner rule from game six of the World Series. Josh Bell got called on upon it again. Trey Turner happened again in 2021. Rule 5.09A11 which states any batter runner who is not in the designated running lane and in the judgment of the umpire interferes with the first baseman's attempt to catch a throw shall be called out. Last night, series opener against the Rays. Uh, Manuel Margot <laughs> hits a dribbler, the second straight dribbler, back to Trevor Williams, who tries to throw the Dom Smith, who can't make the catch because the runner hits his glove in fair territory and is called safe. David Martinez asked the umpires to talk about it they do but they still call him safe they cannot get this call right to go with the nationals way if it's a nationals runner he's out for interference if it's a nationals fielder they're safe for i don't know why this call yeah like you said never goes the nationals way i think davy martinez has dealt with it so often this time he decided not to get tossed uh for <laughs> arguing this maybe because the umpires you know they they talked about it, it wasn't reviewable but you know they they talked about it uh before giving him the answer uh and i will agree with davy martinez it's the second part of this rule that is confusing it's that it's the judgment call but i just don't see how that is not interference yeah i, I don't see how it it it, it can't be it, it's, it makes no sense. It, well, it can't be a judgment call. Like, it's like he you're, wasn't you're in the running even, lane. You're in. He's in fair territory. Right. You're in fair territory, or you're not. There's no real gray area there. Right. And I, they, it's like, you know, it's, uh, I mean, there's a gray area in the strike zone, but there's not a gray area in like fair or foul. Right. And this should be the same with the runner. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I agree with you. I commend Davey for not getting tossed in the fourth game of the season. Yeah. And he even was like, look, they they admitted that. He was in the baseline, but they still caught. I mean, but that 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 would drive me crazy. Like, right. so, so then what? Why isn't it interference? So that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I compliment Davy for not losing his mind, but I was my mind. You're basically the umpire admitting that he was in the baseline. That would that's an admittance to me that it is interference. interference then, right? I this rule and it never no matter yeah whether it's the Nationals runner or the Nationals. At, in the field, it never goes their way. Has so this runner ever been called? Has this call? Has this rule ever been called the Nationals? Now we have multiple examples of it going both ways against the Nationals, right. either in fairness or not. I, it just, I, I'll never get over. It. We need to be talking about this rule twenty four seven because it has to change. Does this happen to any other team in baseball? Like I don't follow. Comment. 
Right. Does any other team get called for this or not called for this rule? I feel like it only happens to the Nets. Yeah. Because I don't see it becoming a big issue across the league. It only, and I know, obviously, we're very Nats-specific here. You know, we're not watching every single baseball right. game played across the major leagues. But, my Lord, And we know that not? You know, we're not paying attention to where the runner's running until there is a play like that at first base. Sure. But still, it's just, I mean, there has to be a more definite answer to, yeah. to the ruling on those plays because it's... It just doesn't make sense. So frustrating. So frustrating. The Nationals do lose that opener to the Rays. Um, but we got two more Tuesday night and Wednesday afternoon. I'll be at the park Wednesday afternoon covering for Mark Zuckerman as he heads out for the first road trip to Colorado. Nice. Colorado mid-April, I'm sure, sounds fun and warm. Um, and then <laughs> old friend Anthony Rendon and the Angels next week. Uh, Anthony Rendon. Will he still be suspended? No, he... Got it reduced down to four. Okay. And he started it last night, so he'll be done with his suspension just by the end time. of the week. <laughs> Talking about it, I mean, some of the guys in the media remember, and it's just like a very odd situation for Anthony. To if, For those who don't know, during the opening series, I don't think it was opening day, but during the opening series in Oakland against the A's, Anthony Rendon gets into gets in the face of a fan. Now, the field, the stadium, I've never been there before, I've been told, like, the fan that stadium is horrible, and the fans are literally right on top of you. And like, players have to like walk past this group of fans to get to the locker room. So like, it's kind of I'm surprised this hasn't happened before. But right, some fans were talking trash to Anthony Rendon throughout the course of the game, and Anthony ends up grabbing him, and you know talking back, and then at the end takes a swipe at him, misses thankfully. But still takes a swipe out of fan. Not a good look for Anthony or the Angels. You see Mike Trout and Shohei Atani walk behind them, kind of looking like, what the hell just happened? Yeah. Um, did it ever come out? Do we know what the fan said? Did he? Did Anthony Rendon talk about uh, it? Not you, that you can't do that. Yeah, I'm not going to repeat it on the pod, on the, okay. on the show. But you know, if you watch the video, you, it has to be something quite. Yeah, Anthony. Anthony accuses the fan of calling him a word for a female dog. Okay, if that makes okay, that translates. Um, Multiple times. And the other thing, like the, uh, the fan's friend or whoever's behind him is like pushing him towards Anthony. I don't know. It's a whole weird situation. MLB comes out, suspends him for five games. Anthony immediately repeals or appeals, excuse me. Uh, and they knock down one game off it. So it's four games. He started Monday night. So he will be available for the Angels when the Nationals arrive in Anaheim next week. Um, apparently, Anthony apologized. Yeah. And apparently, he apologized to that fan directly over the phone. Um, and so all is, all is all, but that was just the news that happened late uh, Monday night. And yes, Anthony Rendon will be playing against his former team. Which, yeah, odd if you have been around Anthony before. He's very, like, pretty quiet, like, yeah. pretty cool and calm, collected. I get in that moment. And if it's over and over again, you probably, you know, whatever. But yeah, you can't do that. Yeah. You, you really can't do that. Yeah. I mean, it brings up a whole conversation of like, also, like, Fans entitlement, like fans oh, feel like yeah. they can do whatever they like. Because someone made a good point yesterday uh, at Nats Park. We were talking about this, the incident. And it was like, you would never do that if you saw him walking down the street. Right. Like it's only that scenario at the ballpark that you do that. You feel like you can. You feel yeah. entitled because you're a fan. But you also paid money to come watch him play. Uh, All around. Sometimes you, you just, ha sometimes, uh, you know, you, I take big issues with fans at sporting events. Oh, <laughs> it's yeah. like, what oh, gives, they can what? be absolutely brutal. <laughs> yeah. What gives you the right? Yeah. All right, enough of the negative. Anyway. Let's move over to uh, the Nationals and their first four games of the season. Like I said, they have only had one victory Sunday at Nationals Park uh, against the Braves. They've got two more games on this homestand coming up. 
We are not here to make final judgments on anything, obviously. Uh, there are some good and some bad, so we're going to talk a lot about both. I guess let's start from opening day. The storyline there, C.J. Abrams' defense, a young shortstop commits three errors that essentially lead to the Nationals' downfall on opening day, a 7-2 loss to the Braves. You know, we talked a lot about this offseason and this spring training that this infield defense is going to be so much better because of C.J. Abrams at short and Luis Garcia at second. And right from the jump, we see three errors by not just the team, but by one particular player who we expect to be a huge improvement on defense. Yeah, I think what was kind of a little bit uh, hard to watch about this is because there has been so much talk about the improved defense, especially with the young players up the middle and Luis Garcia and C.J. Abrams. Now they're in their, you know, Luis Garcia is in his second base, the position he should be playing. You know, we thought it was going to be so much better, and that should equate to hopefully more wins and, and help their starting pitching. I think that's why this is y – you worry a little bit, and it was hard to watch. But there's this other side of it where all three of his errors have come – in that first game and opening day it's opening day we forget just how young and you know new cj abrams is to major league baseball it has to improve he agreed that has to improve uh but it's opening day there was nerves davey martinez said he could tell they were nervous he was nervous himself um so you have to kind of you know put that into consideration yeah absolutely and cj admitted that it was nervous he said that's not an excuse um, at, it's not his, I think it's his first big league opening day starting. I think he did make the Padres opening day roster last year mm -hmm. because of the injury to Tatis Jr., but he didn't start. So, I mean, yeah, it's a big moment for a young player. He's 22 years old. Um, but yeah, it is just because he's been touted as such a high defensive guy, going to really improve this team on, on that side of the ball. And come out and on opening day, like if he had three errors of course of the first four games, we'd be like, okay, he needs to clean up a little bit, but three errors right from the get go on the first day right. is, is, is pretty brutal. I still believe that CJ will be a massive improvement on defense at shortstop. Once he settles into the season, um, you know, even Monday night earlier in the game against the Rays, he fielded a, a ground ball to his right and wasn't able to get the speedy runner out in time. I think it's just still right. just easing into the regular season, getting used to playing every day, getting used to the speed of the game. We saw at the end of last year, right? I mean, he kind of struggled once he got here to Nat, uh, with the Nationals. But then that second half of those last two months, he was elite in defense and then also improved offensively. So, you know, he's struggling at the plate too. You hope they both don't interfere with each other. But, you know, it, it was tough to see. Yeah, and it's like you mentioned the – the kind of the speed of the game and the pace of the game. There were some days or some plays that, you know, he's just a little bit too slow, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, Davey Martinez even said that's that's an adjustment too. He has to adjust to the speed of the game. And you hope that, you know, is going to happen. Like we said, all three airs on opening day. Mm -hmm. You can't, I mean, it is what it is. He has to improve. He has to do better. But I, you're not concerned, that concerned at this point with C.J. Abrams' defense yet. I think it's way too early to make a judgment on that. Yeah, and, and hopefully over the next couple of days we'll see him start to improve ever so slightly and then eventually back to that elite level that we expect mm -hmm. him to be at. Um, all right, switching over to the offensive side of the ball, Cabo Ruiz has a hot start to the season. He's already hitting over 300, 4 for 13. He's one of two nationals who have homered. He had that 
just moonshot on Saturday <laughs> against the Braves in the third deck. He's going to get a red seat up there in that right field corner in the third deck at Nationals Park. Two RBIs, uh, OPS over 1,000. Again, four games. Don't want to overreact too much, but those are the numbers. And, you know, what? after the contract he signed, all the, you know, talk about him, this is now his team. He needs to step up both on the field and in the clubhouse. He's coming out hot and starting off pretty well at the plate. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the Nationals, we haven't – they have to score more runs. We know that. Only nine runs so far in their first four games. That's just over a little over two games, two runs uh, a game. That's pretty much unacceptable. But Caber Ruiz off to a good start, and he is one of these guys in this lineup that is going to have to lead the way. We knew yeah. that. We said that when he, he signed his contract extension. He has to step up. Uh, he has to be one of the guys that hits for more power in this lineup. Not a whole lot of power in this lineup, but he's a guy that could improve that significantly. Uh, you kind of forget about just how far he hit that ball because <laughs> it was, you know, it came was ninth inning, right? Was yeah. that the ninth inning of that game? Same thing yesterday. Jamer Candelario hit that home run late. You kind of forget about them. Um, those home runs haven't come in big moments, which hopefully, you know, the Nationals are closer in games and they're able to do that. But Gabriel Ruiz, good start. He's one of the guys that the Nationals really need to step up. Yeah, and you, you mentioned Candelario and, and the lack of power. You know, K-Bear and Jamer are the only two players with multiple ba- multiple hits for extra bases. Mm-hmm. And, and Two of K-Bear's four hits so far have gone for extra bases, a double and a home run. Um, actually, both of j two hits have gone for extra bases, but it's only two hits, so he's only hitting 143. But, yeah, this is – the Nationals have expected K-Bear Ruiz to show power at some point, and that home run and then a double also on opening day I think is a good sign of he's finally – not only tapping into it, but being a little more picky at the plate. Mm-hmm. We talk a lot about his bat-to-ball skills. They're fantastic, but sometimes to his detriment, he needs to be more selective and really find the pitch that he can drive and put in play to get on base or hit it out of the park. Mm-hmm. He's done that early on this season. I think that's a great sign. You and I both expect a big season from K-Bear, both after a full season in the major leagues last year and now gaining his contract during spring training uh, and becoming one of the leaders of this team. We're hoping that he finally becomes the all-around catcher, all-star level catcher that the Nationals were hoping they would get when they traded for him in 2021. Right, exactly. And then, you know, really his best games and the Nationals' best games, you saw it Saturday and Sunday is when they were chasing less. They were being more selective at the plate. They kind of... I guess, reverted back yesterday. They were chasing the ball a lot. Great pitching from the Rays, of course. Good pitching from the Braves as well. Um, But that's something that the Nationals lineup has to improve upon as a whole. On the flip side, lack of power. Joey Manessis kind of off to a struggle. I had marked down early on our... uh Google Doc notes that could he continue to hit for power uh, <laughs> after his couple of hits on opening day, but uh, he has only one hit since. He's three for 17 to start, seven strikeouts for Joey to lead the team as well. Um, you know, we, we figured there'd be a regression for Joey this year. I mean, he's not going to be able to hit over 300 over the course of the season. That's just not how who he is or is ever projected to be. He's not a Juan Soto type, but, uh, you know, hopefully he kind of finds that rhythm going soon because like you mentioned and Joey's hitting like top of the lineup sometimes already this season like number two so you hope that Joey finds that swing early because if not then that's putting a lot of pressure on K-Bear, J-Mare, 
even Lane Thomas when he's in the lineup, even, uh, you know, Ildemar Vargas to provide some kind of pop. That's just not Luis Garcia, who has yet to hit for extra bases. That's just not going to be the Nationals' recipe for success this year uh, unless Joey figures out a way to tap into that power as well. Exactly. They have to get extra base hits as a whole, and Joey Manessis is going to have to be one of the players to step up. And I think throughout the beginning of the season, the season as a whole, we're probably going to overreact on what Joey Manessis does just because he had such a great couple months to end the season last year. Uh, Great World Baseball Classic. You know, everybody kind of figured out who Joey Manessis was, and we're going to overreact on everything he does, whether it's probably good or or it's, you know, the struggles he has. He can't lead the team in strikeouts. He has to step up, at least, you know, put the ball into play. We're going to talk about it with Victor Robles is kind of, you know, the opposite of that, where he's not striking out, doesn't have a strikeout yet. He's walking, or he, he's putting the ball into play, and that's something that Joey Manessis is, is, is going to have to do. Yeah, great signs from Victor Robles. Um, putting the ball in play, not striking out yep. yet is, is massive. If I would have told you that there would only be um, one player – Right. Well, one player who's played on a regular basis so far who hasn't struck out, who would you guess it would be? You would probably <laughs> guess like a Luis Garcia right? or even maybe a Jamer. So a veteran, no, it's it's Victor Robles. No strikeouts in four games, 10 at-bats. Ildemaro also hasn't struck out yet, but he only has seven at-bats so far this season. Um, very impressive. I mean, the one thing for Victor I still need to see is getting that ball in the air. He does not lift as much, and maybe that's part of the – the, the plan, the process, maybe they would just want to see him put it in play and use his speed to get on base. And then once you're on base, make no outs on the bases, which I don't think he's done so far yet either. That's a good sign as well. Um, but I would like to see him get a little more loft on his on mm-hmm. his swing. A lot of ground balls that you're just hoping that, okay, now you're relying too much on his speed. He's not going to beat out every single one. Um, so maybe a little more loft on some of his swings. But all in all, you have to be have And I'll, so a couple of all-star level plays in center field as yep. well. You have to be happy with, again, small sample size, but the level of play that Victor Robles is showing, some growth. Not quite ready to say this is going to be the new Victor Robles, but I am here for Victor Robles' renaissance if he can kind of carry this on for the first month, two months, and then, yeah, you're looking at, okay, this is a good sign for Victor. Yeah, we're definitely past the part where, you know, there was a while where, like, oh, Victor Robles could just be a leadoff hitter. You know, if we can just get to that point. Uh, We're not going to get there, but, you know, three walks in four games, no strikeouts, that's a good sign for Victor Robles. And his problems with struggling to get the ball in the air is true across this entire lineup. They hardly got a ball out of the infield yesterday. I mean, that the biggest inning that they had was on an air and, you know, a, a ground ball RBI. So that's kind of been true this entire season. They have to get extra base hits in order to do that. They have to get the ball in the air. Um, There's shown little glimpses of that, but that's something that's true across this whole lineup. Yeah, we're not like, again, we're, we've already expected this Nationals team to not hit for power, right? So, like, we're not saying hit the ball in the air in the air to hit home runs. We're right. saying hit the ball in the air to help you get on base. You know, mm-hmm. I, could this team pepper an opponent with single, single, singles? I guess, but you're looking at part of your lineup like K-Bear, like Joey, like Vargas, like Dom Smith and Jamer Candelari, who aren't speedy. Like, you're looking for those guys that, okay, like, you know, hit a double every once in a while. Hit a right. home run if you, you know, get a good swing on it. But, you know, it, it's the recipe is going to be have those guys, meaning CJ, Luis Garcia, Victor Robles, maybe even Lane Thomas to an extent. Lane Thomas 
has some sneaky pop, so he kind of goes um, in both right. categories. But get them on base and then have these other guys drive them in, even if it is a single. You know, RBIs are work because they're not going to be able to, you know, hit four home runs in a single game or, you know, just hit for a bunch of extra bases. Right. That's just not going to be the recipe. Right, but you have to hit the ball at the infield. Yeah. And, yeah, you have to hit the ball a little bit harder than, you know, a little dribbler uh, because that's just not going to work. You don't see any of the good offenses across the league, you know, hit all singles or hit all the balls in the infield. Um, But the good news is for the Nationals is, like you said, we didn't expect them to hit for power. And all of these issues, say issues or overreactions, seem correctable, A, or B, it's not, you know, out of the blue. Like C.J. Abrams, you know, those three errors, it's like, okay, we didn't maybe expect that on opening day. But all of these other things, it's kind of expected, you know. Um, And there are things that can be fixed as the season progresses. And especially without the shift this year, hitting the ball in the air is going to result into more singles oh, absolutely, or more just yeah. hits, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, then every once in a while you get a good whack on it and that's in a double or maybe a triple for someone fast like Victor or CJ. So yeah, ball in the air grounders. I mean, we talk a lot about how the shift is going to, or the lack of shifts, I should say is going to sh- like highlight the athleticism of the infielders. Mm-hmm. They can't do that. If the ball's over their head, True. right? So hit them over the head. Grounders is where they're going to show the athleticism and speed and be able to get some outs. But if it's over their head, and as long if you know and they're not Michael Jordan out there, they're not going to jump right. up and snag it. And guys like Cabo Ruiz or uh, Jamer Candelario, no, those are guys that sure. can do that and can you know now with the band shift should significantly help them. Absolutely. And let's move over to the pitching side of things. Um, let's again start back on opening day. Patrick Corbin not getting into the game is that more of some bad luck? Some bad pitches by Pat or a little bit of both. He goes three plus. Uh, he faced one batter in the top of the fourth that he did not retire. So Patrick Corbin only has three innings on his ledger. Um, and let's see, uh, two, four runs, only two earned, but three walks to three strikeouts on seven hits um, in the opening day. Lost to the Braves. It's a mixed bag for me. I'm going to say a little bit of both mm-hmm. because – you have the errors by C.J. Abrams that led to two unearned runs. Um, but then you also look at the three walks. And one of those walks was with the bases loaded. That he walked right. in a run. So I, I do think Patrick deserved better on opening day. But it still was some of the same for him. Yeah, it's a combination of both. You have to look at where the unearned runs came from. And those were in the errors. So, you know, that's not his fault. But in his earned runs, walking in a run or, you know, you have to look at that as well. So it's a combination of both. Um, we knew like on days where Patrick Corbin's pitching or Josiah Gray comes out and, and gives up a bunch of home runs, the defense has to be solid otherwise behind him. Yeah. Uh, we know they have to score more runs to, to win games, but on the flip side of that, the defense has to be solid behind these guys, um, you know, in order for the bullpen to be better, for these starters to be better. Um, so I think it's a combination between both. Um, that outing wasn't particularly surprising for Patrick Corbin. You know, either way. Of the 11 batters who reached against him, this is via Mark Zuckerman, six did so either via a ground ball, an error, or a single with an exit velocity under 80 miles per hour. So that just goes to show you right there that 
that is some bad luck. Some weak contact that falls in for a single that gets a guy on base. That's not a powerful lineup beating you, you know? Right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is a powerful lineup over there, but oh, not absolutely. doing it the in way that, that they, right. they typically would. That's just some bad luck. Mm -hmm. You know, a broken bat single right over Dom Smith's head into right field. Yeah. I mean, that's bad luck and not necessarily anything the defense can do. Then you look at the errors. That can be cleaned up. But then you look at the walks. That's on Pat. And, you know, mm -hmm. he's got to throw strikes. He did not throw a lot of strikes uh, on that opening day start. So not ready to say that here we go again with Pat. Let's see how he looks in his second outing on Wednesday against the Rays. But if opening day was any sign, it's kind of pretty much the same. And we talked a lot about that last year with Patrick Corbin, right? Like, yes, it was a majority of him pitching poorly, but there were times where he seemed to pitch better and ran into bad luck. Right. And then you go to Josiah Gray start, and yeah. it's almost like, is this more of the same? Doesn't give up a home run all of spring training, comes in, two home runs right away. It was just like, it gave up three total in that outing on Saturday. It was just like, oh, no, here we go is what that felt like to me. It, it was a warmer day on Saturday, but it was super windy. I do believe at least one of those was aided by the wind. Mm -hmm. So some, again, bad luck there. But, yeah, I mean, it's just adding to that narrative, kind of like Patrick started, adding to Josiah's narrative of he led the league in home runs. He led the league in walks surrendered. He didn't issue a single home run in spring training, led the majors in ERA among starters, and then boom, back-to-back -back home runs to start his season. Three total, like you mentioned. It, I still believe we're going to see a good season from Josiah Gray. Again, one start. Don't want to overreact. But when you have this big narrative surrounding a young pitcher, and like I mentioned last week, I think there's now more pressure on Josiah and Mackenzie Gore with the lack of Kate Cavalli this season. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's hard not to shrug and say, here we go again. I mean, I, I don't think here we go again. Let's see him go out another two or three times, and hopefully he keeps the ball in the yard. I think his next start's going to come on Wednesday in Colorado. Well, that's going to be a tough place to hit right, I mean, or to pitch. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I just you just hope that it was just like, all right, first start nerves, just some bad placement. You can clean it. He finished this the, the outing okay. Right. It's just a tough start. Yeah. Tough start for Josiah Gray. A lot of the same issues. There's pressure on him both because, you know, he has to step up because he is such a big part of this rotation of the future and because he has to step up because he needs to improve so much from how bad he was last season. So right. it's a combination of both for Josiah Gray. I don't think this is what we're going to see across the entire season. I agree. I think, you know, we know what the upside is with Josiah Gray. It's just a matter of getting there with him. Um, I think this year you're going to see a lot of improvement. Hopefully that's just, you know, kind of figuring everything out, going to Colorado to pitch in your second outing and your second start is Yikes. poor, poor buddy. But uh, <laughs> at least, you know, you hope your lineup is able to, you know, score some more runs out there as well. So maybe that'll help them. Right. I mean, you look at the, I mean, not that, not to like completely write Josiah and Patrick and give them a free pass, but mm -hmm. national scored two on opening day and one on Saturday. And then, Let's move to Sunday. They actually score four in the first inning to stake Mackenzie Gore to a big early lead um, in his Nationals debut. But then they don't score again the rest of the game. Exactly. And, and Mackenzie Gore and the bullpen are able to keep the Braves to just one run. Very impressive in itself. But, like, that's kind of back to my point. This team is not going to put their pitchers in position to win a lot of games this year because of this. I mean, you're going to see a lot of, well, what we just saw overall in the Braves series. Like, 
opening day was close until the eighth inning, I think it was. Like mm-hmm. it was a two run game. Right. And then Kyle Finnegan gave up another three in the ninth, which then he bounced back with a clean save on Sunday. Saturday, you just get dug into a deep hole and you can't dig out. Sunday, you jump out early and you pray to God you hold on. I mean, I think that's just that's and the those three games are that's going to be the routine for the Nationals this year. Right. Just in my mind, I just see a, those are how those are pretty classic game scripts for this season. Yeah, unfortunately, you, know, you you can't really go on scoring droughts like you did for the rest of that game on Sunday. Then to start the game yesterday, yeah, um, you just can't do that and expect you know your bullpen to hang on or you know for for all of that. And the bullpen has been done its job so far this year. You know, it looks like it's going to continue to be strong, but you're putting them in a really tough position. Um, mm-hmm. You know. If you don't score runs. Yep. And Mackenzie Gore, like I said, did get some run support in his start. He goes five and a third, only allows three hits, one earned run, uh, four walks to six strikeouts. A very impressive debut. That's the stuff that the Nationals fans have been waiting to see since last year's trade. Of course, he didn't pitch last year. He made a handful of starts in spring training, but now making, and he also pitched in the Tuesday's uh, exhibition game against the Yankees, but his official Nationals debut, Mm -hmm. striking out six, getting into the sixth inning, um, very impressive stuff. Is Mackenzie Gore, we haven't done a full turn in this rotation, but is Mackenzie Gore the best pitcher on the staff? I mean, I, I think it's even, you know, before you look at his, his debut with the Nationals or, you know, how Patrick Corbin and Josiah Gray pitched, I think you could, you know, arguably say that just going into the season. Uh, the stuff is there. We just haven't been able to see him yet or, you know, see him healthy yet other than his starts at AAA Rochester to finish out the year yeah. last year. But, you know, stuff-wise, um, and then you look at this debut – I think he is the best pitcher in this rotation. It's just a matter of, you know, how much they're how much they're going to limit him uh, throughout the season just because he is so young. They want him to stay healthy. Um, it'll be, you know, a matter of that. But the stuff is there for Mackenzie Gore. You saw it there. I almost kind of – I thought maybe they'd let him finish, finish out the sixth inning, but, you know, you couldn't have asked for more. But you need to hold on to the win there, yeah. and, and, and you have a – a totally bullpen. makes sense, right. yeah. Uh, yeah. The other bullpen, he's young, you know. He they, they think they wanted to keep him to 90 pitches. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you understand. But yeah. I totally agree. I think his stuff plays the best of this rotation. Like, at their peaks, I think Mackenzie Gore is going to be clearly the number one starter yeah. in this spot, even though he's slotted at number three. As the season goes on, we could see him move up in that rotation at times with off days uh, being able to move up. I think Josiah... On a good day, Josiah, especially with his new cutter, can be close, but he's not. Agreed. I mean, but looking at Mackenzie Gore when he's on and sharp, like that is why he was one of the Padres' top prospects. That is why he was included in a trade for Juan Soto, and that is why he is projected to be the leading starter on this staff for years to come. Right. Very impressive. And one good sign for the Nationals because they got the W. Mm-hmm. But two, also like, you know, you just saw your other young pitcher get eat up Saturday. Your third young pitcher is out for the season for Tommy John. You needed some kind of sign of hope right. from these young guys, and Mackenzie delivered that on yeah. Sunday. It, 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 yeah, it was really exciting. Then you saw your bullpen come in. Um, Kyle Finnegan bounced back after yep, that, that bad debut. Got his first save of the season. Um, you know, just an all-around good game. You hoped your offense could put up more than those early four runs, but it was enough. They got their first win, um, you know, and hopefully – Mackenzie Gore can continue to grow throughout the season. So a quick, just we're not overreacting to CJ Abrams <laughs> uh, defense. 
we are kind of expecting this lack of run scoring is going to continue to be an issue um, throughout the season. We're trying not to overreact to Josiah Gray's early struggles, but we're also trying not to get too hyped on Mackenzie Gore's excellent debut. So a lot of things, fun things to talk about over the season's first four games. Like I said, it is nice to just have actual games that matter. Uh, and you look across the league, uh, you know, the Nationals are in third place. There we With go. one win. <laughs> the Phillies have yet to win a game as of this podcast recording. Yeah, that's got to make yeah. Nationals fans feel good. There you go. Got swept in Texas and then lost to the Yankees and in Yankee Stadium. These scores are insane. Like, yeah. I <laughs> bet the over on every game. Like, oh, yeah. These, Slam it's been, the over. It has been insane just how many runs have been scored to start the season. Um, you know, is that effect of the new rules? Well, yeah. Quite that, possible that, they wanted more offense. Right. <laughs> that was my next topic to kind of wrap this up. I, I mean, impact it's four games and a whole spring training how are you seeing these new rules play out i mean i, I for one i think they're great I, I i am really falling in love with these i'm still the only one i'm still kind of against is the shift ban okay but i get it i get why mlb is doing that because it does help with the offense it does help with action but the pitch clock i think has been great uh the stolen bases have been insane um, yeah, I'm liking them a lot. Yeah, it's like 40, 40 or something, maybe over 40 more stolen bases through four games um, this season than there was at this point last season. Um, you're hoping the Nationals will eventually benefit from that rule, but they have to get on base, guys like C.J. Abrams. You have to get a hit, you know, to be in the position to steal bases. Um uh, but just the run production, and it's just everything's so much more exciting. The pitch clock, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, these games are moving. Yeah. I, I really like it. I mean, just some quick numbers. Uh, this is from, I saw Jeff passing on Twitter that I wanted to mention. Through the first weekend of the season, 50 games this year. It was only 49 games last year, so pretty equal sample size. Time of game this year has been on average two hours and 38 minutes. Last year was three hours and nine minutes. That is more than a half-hour difference right there, so that's a huge plus. I love that. You love that. Yeah. Um, I think Mark Zuckerman said he covered the game on Sunday at 135. It was two hours and 17 minutes, and he was home by 530. That's great. That's amazing. Um, if the Nationals could just bump up those start times to 105, <laughs> that you'd be saving a whole other I half know. hour. <laughs> um, batting. This year, hitters are hitting, are slashing 245, 323, 392. Last year, it was 230, 308, 374. So improved offense already this year in a small sample size. Stolen bases, like you mentioned, 70 bases were swiped in 84 chances. That's an 83.3% conversion rate compared to last year. Only 29 bases were stolen out of 43 attempts, 67.4%. I mean, you're almost doubling the attempts right. right there and 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 almost tripling the you know the amount of success. So that's a great sign right there. Uh, more action on the base pass. Now, any calls for concern that the Nationals are one of four <laughs> teams without a stolen base so far this year? Yeah, but you have to get on base to steal them. That's and, true. You know, that's what, kind of why you're seeing that. Same with, you know, uh, the, the slash lines is you're not going to see the benefits in the Nationals lineup yet just because they're not doing that. But, yeah. you know, hopefully they get to the position where they do benefit from some of these rules. Pitch clock violations, only 40 through the season's first 50 games across the league. An average of under one per game. So that's not having a major impact on the results. Like, I think everyone's fear was, like, the pitch clock violation right. will come in the bottom of the ninth inning with the bases loaded and you know, that would be an automatic strike or automatic ball for 
ball four and they walk home the winning run. Mm-hmm. Hasn't happened yet. I mean, I, I would imagine there's going to be some controversy, but as long as it's not like a consistent thing, I think we can get past yeah. it. And, and players will adjust. Pitchers are going to get used to it. Some say you see it already. They're adjusting. You know, they, they have a much better feel for it than we saw at the beginning of spring training. Yeah. So that's why you they started those rules in spring training. Yeah. I, I've always said baseball games should never be three hours long. It's just... Not enough action to dic- to to justify sitting around for that long. So, watching a game in two and a half hours, I mean, it's also great too because you look at, you know, I know a lot of counties around Washington D.C. are in spring break right now, but like next week or the week next homestand, you know, the Nationals have a seven o'clock game on a Monday or Tuesday. I think actually their next homestand will be seven o'clock games on Tuesday and Wednesday against the Orioles. You know. You could theoretically take your kids out who are in school to the game at 7 and be home before 10. And attendance, I mean, you're already seeing everybody write about it. Attendance is down. You know, that's a way. Maybe you're just not just with the Nationals, but across the league is a way to boost attendance if you know it's not going to go into, you know, late hours. (laughs) Right, yeah. And then, like, you went on Sunday, right? What time were you home on Sunday? Oh, early. Five something, maybe? I mean, that game moved. I couldn't hardly believe it. Yeah. Four o'clock game on Saturday. The game's over before seven o'clock. Right. You have time to go grab dinner or just go home, right. like playing stuff. And if you are watching from home on a school night, you can be done watching by <laughs> 930 and, you know, and then watch the postgame right. show with uh, Dan, Bob, and Franny. And or if then you're covering a game, yeah, you don't have to be up till, yeah, you don't, It's amazing. Until midnight. <laughs> yeah. So I think these have been great for this. Uh, and again, small sample size, but I think these have been great so far. I think... I haven't heard too many complaints. Maybe baseball purists are complaining My a little dad bit. Can, baseball shouldn't have a clock. That's why it's baseball. Well, your but, dad's also a baseball coach. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> and he's old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, people like that. And I get it. You know, baseball has some of these attributes that made it so different than any other sport. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I think it's going to help the game. I don't think it has fundamentally changed the game. No, the I game, agree. It's still baseball. It's better action. It's more fast-paced. I mean, that's why people love football, basketball, hockey. Like, it's action. Baseball doesn't have that for a long time. Now we do. Agreed. Yeah. All right. So that's our quick reactions to the Nationals' first four games of the season. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Mass and All Access podcast. Sorry we are a day earlier than normal because the Nationals do have an afternoon game on Wednesday on Mass. And be sure to tune in at 1230 for the pregame show. Dan, Bob, and Franny will have the call from Nationals Park. I'll be there covering for Mark Zuckerman on MassInSports.com. You can follow me at Bobby underscore Blanco at Amy Jennings News for Amy and at Mass and Nationals across the board. Thanks to Matt Bonaparte for producing the show behind the scenes. We'll be back sometime next week with a brand new episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you then.